a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The views given on the following program are not necessarily the views of this station management or staff. Since individual situations can and will be different, please remember this when exercising any options presented by our guests. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Bringing life back into balance with a more thoughtful approach to wealth management. Now, from Capstone Wealth Management, here's Chris Klein on the big 1070, 1070 AM and 100.9 FM. Let's get this show on the road. I am Mike Pilch, along with Chris Clyde of Capstone Wealth Management. Fee-only financial advisory service. He's in Prairie du Sac. You can contact him a number of ways. One is by phone, 866-596-9886. And you can also set up an email, info at careformywealth.com. That's info at careformywealth.com. And check him out on Twitter at Care For My Wealth. I am located at MD Pilch. Chris Klein, welcome in, and uh, welcome into the first, I guess, good weekend that we have had here in the spring. Yeah, good morning. It's nice to see the sunshine and warm weather to go with it. <laughs> yeah, breezy still, but that's fine. We'll, we'll deal with that as long as it's starting to get uh, a little bit nicer out. Now, we've got... I guess a lot to get to today because we had some world issues happening late in the week, specifically with what happened with the Syrian attacks in Sweden and a lot of the other attacks right. out there. And we'll see how that's impacted the markets and really hasn't as of yet. So that's kind of interesting because right. normally big events like this have made an impact. And when you look at some of the other terror attacks we've had, say, in Europe or Asia or what have you, it's made an attack. But um it's it's having a strange impact regarding the the movement of everything right now yeah we live in a mad world you know um in fact we sent out a newsletter this past week just 
talking about how mad the world is, just simply as it relates to looking at some fundamental things regarding earnings. I mean, so here's an example. Amazon is worth two times in terms of market cap that of Walmart. But Walmart's gross profit and net income is hugely way above Amazon's. Typically, you would see those companies with great earnings and sustained earnings to be more valuable. <clears throat> and what I found interesting about that simple comparison is that if, if someone, if, if a stockholder were to invest in Amazon.com today, and this isn't a suggestion that you should do that or not do that. It's not a, an analysis as to whether or not the company is good or bad or whether it's growing rapidly. It is growing rapidly, but it's going to really have to grow rapidly to sustain this level of value based on its current earnings. If somebody were to invest in Amazon today, as an example, based on its current earnings, it would take them 339 years to get their investment back. That's, That's not I mean, good. Let that sink in for just a minute to give you an idea of its current valuation. So one of the few things is going to have to happen. The stock is going to have to experience massive earnings growth, I mean to the point that would just turn heads. Two, the stock is going to have to march sideways while those earnings continue to just ratchet to the upside. Well, the stock has got to drop. One of those three things are likely to happen. The $50, $60, 100000000000 billion question is, well, when? And, of course, no one knows, but this, again, just goes along the lines that we're living in a mad, mad world. Tesla Motors, who hasn't made an annual profit, is worth more than Ford. I don't know about you, but every time I'm driving down the road, I certainly see more Ford F-150s than I do Teslas you driving down the road. You a of Ford F-150s, absolutely. They're, they're all over the place. Now, I suppose if you go to I, – I, I have a wonderful client that I met with yesterday uh, from Arizona, and he says, oh, you see Teslas all over the place here. But, you know, there's a different story. You know, Arizona, Phoenix, Scottsdale, those kinds of areas have a tendency to attract some – very high net worth type individuals, and many of them drive extremely expensive cars, and mm -hmm. many are uh, very excited about battery technology and renewables and, and all that. So, you know, on one hand, we've got things happening in the market that are just very weird, specifically as it relates to things that have always been important, earnings. And then you take that and you start to put the backdrop of the whole uh, Syrian attack thing in place, and it's after this, the attack was announced Thursday night, I was going to bed, and I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to look at futures. I expect them to be down pretty hard right now. And I looked, and it was like a great big yawn. It was as if the market just didn't care that we just launched an attack on, well, a, a country that has shown to be really okay with using weapons of mass destruction against well, I guess anyone, since they're willing to use it against their own people. So Yeah, it's so weird how the markets are not reacting the way they have historically to a lot of things lately. Well, it's not. you know, And, and even yesterday, with market activity being what it was, I, I think that we're, there were more than a few that were surprised that it was up uh, to the degree that it was. I, and I know some who would suggest, hey, doesn't surprise me a bit because war is always good for markets. Well, that's not historically accurate, not, at least not 100% of the time. I mean, if we roll the clock all the way back to World War One, when that was launched, the market closed for four days and then mm -hmm. opened up down like 30%. Uh, 1990, our invasion that took place over there, I mean, 
that market dropped about 20% before we invaded, and then once we had boots on the ground, the market really took off. And then, of course, September 11th, market closed for a week, uh, opened up down very hard compared to where it had closed uh, on the 10th. So, you know, the, the argument that someone might suggest that, hey, war is good for markets and this doesn't surprise me, that, eh, that's not a historically accurate comment when you really delve into the details. War is not good for markets, now you're going to say? Because the, <clears throat> the old saying is war, war is a good thing for markets. That's what yeah, you've always histor- heard. Well, you have. You have. And longer term, that might, in fact, be true, but right out of the gate, not necessarily all the time. I don't know about you, but most people sitting back, if you were on the cusp of 1990 or September 11th or World War One aren't really excited to see their portfolios drop 20, 30% right out of the chute. So, you know, on, on, I figure it what day it was, maybe Wednesday, we sent out a newsletter. And, and yeah, it was Wednesday because it was before the Syrian attacks. My last comment that I made uh, in my email, so I, in my emails when we send out our newsletter, mm-hmm. I, I have a tendency to, to summarize what's in the newsletter just, I know we've got a ton of very busy clients who like to know what's going on but don't have the time to read through, you know, three, four, five pages of analysis. And I get that. So I try to summarize it. And my very last comment that I made was the price movement in markets today was very curious because markets were up really strong and then closed down on the day. It, 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 it had all the feelings of a price reversal, especially in context of the, the risks that we've been talking about from valuations to monetary conditions to to sentiment numbers. We've been talking about that over the last several weeks and how we're just stuck in the red. Mm -hmm. And so my comment about that price reversal being very curious and appearing to be related specifically to tensions with regards to geopolitical items on the docket, such as Korea and their saber-rattling, the meeting coming up with, with uh, President Trump and, and uh, Chinese president, which, of course, has taken place at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Syria and what they had done with regards to their chemical weapons attack. So, I mean, all these things were adding up. And then I wrote right behind that, these are the kinds of things that have a tendency to be a catalyst for a market drop. And then I thought, right. you know, I don't want to say that and cause someone to be concerned or worried. So I erased it. And then Thursday, we get our response to that Syrian attack, and, and we launch missiles and blow up their airfields and things of that nature. And I thought, huh, here we go. This wouldn't surprise me to see markets fall out of bed. And what do we get? Another great big yawn. <laughs> Another great big nothing. So mm-hmm. at, at the surface, when these kinds of things happen, there's this vast element of uncertainty, and it's the uncertainty that has a tendency to cause markets to, to act not well. It's the uncertainty that gives them conniptions, right? So here we are with Korea, China, Russia, Syria, and I would suggest a whole host of uncertainty as it relates to all those geopolitical entities. And what do markets do after we blow something up? They go up. They're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. And then add to that the fact that the jobs report was kind of crappy. I mean, I think analysts were expecting 160 or 170,000 jobs to be reported yesterday, and we got 98,000. Well, on any other given day, on any other given month, we would probably see the market pull back on that, in addition to the uncertainty of what's happening in, in the, on the geopolitical front. So it's, it's a mad world. You know, we've got Amazon worth more than Walmart by two. We've got 
we've got Tesla worth more than 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 Ford and almost worth more than GM. It's like you have I mean, to G- unlearn what you have learned already. <laughs> it feels that way more than you can imagine, you know. And and why does the Nasdaq? What's propping the Nasdaq up? Fang, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. You know the same perpetrators over the past two years that have moved indexes to the upside continue to suck in investors, and yet they continue to get grossly, grossly overpriced in terms of the earnings that they're posting. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a strange place to be sure. Yeah, and I'll get into more on how you're starting to predict what happens in markets because it's got to be harder if some of these trends aren't there all the time. We'll get into how this stuff's affecting markets more, more into the jobs report, and we're going to be talking about fossil fuels, what's going on there. This is Muddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management with Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch as we're going to take you up to 10 o'clock when Big Sports Saturday hits. By the way, I'll be co-hosting Big Sports Saturday today with Joel Finkelman. So keep listening to this radio station longer. You will you will learn good things if you do so. 866-596-9886 is the phone number to get in touch with Chris Klein. If you'd like to talk to him about your financial situation, how to invest for the future you could also send him an email info at careformywealth.com that's info at careformywealth.com and then see his thoughts as they happen on twitter he dissects things in the market as they're happening throughout the week there and you can do that at careformywealth.com or excuse me at careformywealth there on twitter that's at careformywealth i am at md pilch talking about the strange impacts and movements relating to the Syrian attacks and other attacks we're seeing lately, how the markets almost seem to be like, eh, whatever, and how weird that is. And you're in a situation where you have to unlearn what you have learned, right, Chris? Because, you know, what they say happened after World War One, World War II, 9-11, the 1990 Gulf War, we're not seeing that the trends are pointing in the same direction anymore. So I don't know how you could read this stuff anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what you don't want to do is jump off the this time is different cliff, you know, because more often than not, the minute you convince yourself that something is dramatically different, it's not. I, some of the things that we are seeing is an increased degree of volume in the market, and we started seeing that in December. In fact, we wrote a letter a couple of weeks ago that, that pinpointed and showed exactly the change in volume that markets were experiencing which simply suggests that, that markets have been successful at sucking in what we would call the weak hands, the, the average mom-and-pop investor with money on the sidelines who have watched this market just continually ramp up without them, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's not the stuff of a market bottom. That's the stuff of a market top. Now, am I saying we're at a market top right now? No. You've been no, seeing no. a lot of things indicating that lately, though. Well, they're just, they're continuing to add up, you know, and, and like anything, when you continue to add more and more and more items that suggest that risk levels are, are incredibly heightened, you, you can't, you just have to, you can't ignore them, right? So when money is getting moved in, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, you know, it's kind of like the, the wolf out there just holding out a bag of candy saying, come on, come on, little right. boy, come on. Right, little Red Riding Hood things. Yeah, yeah. People pile in, people pile in, and, you know, as that's happening, institutions, people forget there's a willing buyer and a willing seller in any stock market transaction. So for every buyer, somebody's selling, right? Right, right. That could be large institutions unwinding their positions in stuff that they hold. Well, 
guess what? The institutions are the strong hands because they're the ones with the money. The weak hands are the individual players because when their money's invested, they're done. Right. So when money's moving from strong hands to weak hands, that's not what you want to see. And right now, there's some suggestion that that's exactly what's taking place. Now, that can happen for a long time. There's a lot of money on the sidelines. I mean, shoot. Here's what, $7 trillion sitting in yep. savings accounts? I, I mean, I love how you mention that every other week. <laughs> well, you can't help it because it's just such an eye-popping, staggering number, you know? And, and, and on top of that, you've, you've got Fed, who in their last, uh, their last meeting minutes, which were released on Wednesday, talk about their concern and nervousness for current heightened prices of the stock market, you know? When you have an entity as strong as the Fed suggesting that they're nervous about something, you can't help but take notice. And on top of the fact that the Fed's got a $4.5 trillion balance sheet that they also said they're going to look at finding ways to unwind. Well, what does that mean? It means that they have to find ways to sell their bond positions to the market. What does that mean? Well, typically that would mean that there's more selling pressure on the longer end of the yield curve which would typically mean higher interest rates. Mm-hmm. Now, is, is that going to play out? Time will tell. But, you know, if the Federal Reserve were a bank, the bank would not be allowed to be in business. And do you know why? Because the Fed is levered 77 to 1. I mean, like, at the height of the financial crisis, the worst leveraged banking company on the planet was levered maybe 50 to 1. Wow. J.P. Morgan, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers was levered maybe 40 to 1. And what happened to Lehman Brothers? They had a 1% change in net capital, and boom, they're gone. Yeah. The point is, is that you have a lot of dislocations that have taken place in markets over the past umpteen years due to 0% interest rates. They're not going to get unwound overnight, and the Fed is going to attempt to do everything that they can to maximize a, a, an orderly distribution of their bond portfolio. But, mm-hmm. Mike, we're talking $4.5 trillion. <laughs> this isn't stuff that just gets unwound in a day, week, month, or a year. If you break it, that down, that's like unfathomable money. It's insane. It's amazing how big of a number that is. You know, people step back and say to themselves, well, Bezos said he's going to sell a billion dollars a year of Amazon stock to fund his, his space adventures, and they go, holy cow, that's a lot. Well, He's worth eighty billion. I mean, what's one? <laughs> like the way you said, hey, he's worth eighty billion. You know, he's got another one where that came from. If he wants to sell it, you know, which who knows? Is that going to put pressure on the stock? It's hard to say. But the point being is, you take a billion, you know, and then ask yourself, what's the difference of that between that and a trillion? Well, <laughs> a lot. You know, what, what's the old example? It takes you a, a, a day to count to. A million, it takes you like 30 years to count to a billion or something like that. Probably. It, so it would take more than your lifetime to get to a trillion. It's an astronomical you know, number that is so hard for us mere mortals to really get our head around you know, in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of its, its, uh, its impact uh, on, on what potentially markets might, uh, might have to deal with. So we've had so much government intervention for so long that, I don't know if markets fully understand how to interpret it anymore. And so to your point at the beginning of this segment, you know, do you have to learn or relearn or unlearn some things that have brought you to the dance? Well, I don't know that I can say that at this point. I mean, we know that fundamentals still ultimately rule the day. Investors are going to invest in companies that 
ultimately are going to make money. And, you know, in the last segment, segment I talked about Amazon and, and Tesla and, and how they appear to just be taking over the world and, and how if, if you're a stockholder in Amazon, it's going to take you, and I think I misspoke, it's 183 years to get your, your investment back. It's 339 years for an investment in Netflix. Either way. Ne- either way, it just shows that they're very, very, very overvalued based on current earnings. And, and I don't want to be too hard on Tesla because if they're right and if they're able through their Gigafactory to produce the amount of high-quality, very long-lasting battery technology that they suggest they can produce, well, then, you know what, we'll probably see some really amazing earnings coming out of mm-hmm. Tesla. <clears throat> but we've all been down those roads before, too. We understand how these kinds of things happen. Renewable energy is getting very different, you know, and, and, and in this next segment, I just want to talk about, you know, the structural decline of fossil fuels and kind of look at it from an argument of, of a fossil fuel supporter and, and kind of just go through a litany of facts that we know to be true today as it relates to both fossil fuels and renewable energies who can then, you know, we can step back and ask ourselves, okay, is Tesla onto something? Or are companies that are in solar and wind and, and other kinds of non fossil fuel-based renewables, are, 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 are they the wave of the future? Many would suggest yes. I'm always cautious of that because the moment someone says, ah, that industry is dead is the time that it bottoms out and moves on to the upside. Mm-hmm. So energy is important because it makes up a really large portion of indexes, um, the S&P 500, for example. And so you better understand how energy is functioning in the overall marketplace if you're a passive investor. And that's one of the things that has us a little bit concerned based on the volume changes we've seen coming into the market in December and have continued for January and February and March is that there are a lot of passive investors who are simply individual amateur investors piling money into an index. Well, that's been a good play so far, but we also know that when the boat gets tipped too hard to one side, it has a tendency to tip over. Yep. So. We'll see how things play out. All right, we'll get into that fossil fuels discussion and the structural decline of fossil fuels. And Chris saying, uh-uh, I'm going to prove where all that information isn't right. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. We're with you till 10 o'clock. I am Mike Pilch along with Chris Klein. 866-596-9886 is the phone number to get in touch with Chris. You can also check him out on Twitter at Care for My Wealth. I am at MD Pilch. And then shoot him an email if you'd like. And that's info at careformywealth.com. Quick. Mike, you picked, a, you picked one of my favorite songs on the planet in the last bumper rotation there. <laughs> Drop Dead Legs by Van Halen. Yeah. What a great song. <laughs> you're a, uh, you're, you're, you like to rock out. You're a rock guy. I, and I, I can't rock, help it, yeah. <laughs> well, I can't either. And about two years ago, you told me to play that for bumper music. So there it is. It's in <laughs> did, the rotation. I, did I really? Oh, yeah, that's funny. Good memory. So, <laughs> yeah, it's in the rotation. Hey, I got a question for you. The Seattle Mariners are offering toasted grasshoppers tossed in chili lime salt this season. Would you consider trying them? <laughs> Would I try one? Sure. Why not? Okay. I'm an adventurous guy. 
Well, as of a little while ago, with like 8,000 votes in, 42% of people voting said no. Or I'm sorry, 42% of people voting said yes, 58% said no. I'll guarantee you that changes at a game, because what's the one thing that everybody's doing while watching the baseball game? Drinking and eating. Drinking beer. So I can just see how that goes, you know? That's going to be the best seller of the park. Instead of pretzels, (laughs) you'll just toss in a toasted grasshopper tossed in chili lime salt, and that'll make you thirstier and buy more beer. That's how it'll go. See, and yeah. they'll say these are better for you than 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 the standard salted peanut. You know, I can hear the argument now. The picture of these <laughs> things looks a little creepy. I mean, they look a little toasted and, and barbecuey, but you can see the bugness in them. I have to nice. say, so nice. um, because there's sometimes you'll eat that stuff and you don't realize what you're eating. You're like, oh, that's good. Then you, they tell you what it is. You're like, what? But you found out it's really good. These you can't get away from because they've got the bugginess in the picture. So, I don't know. We'll see how that goes as the year goes on. Great. Bugginess. Is that a word? Uh, it is now. So it is now. Perfect. See, we learn all these new things on this show. Only <laughs> on this show. Absolutely. Not at 10 a.m. every Saturday. That's how we roll. All right. You want to talk about fossil fuels, and I think primarily, Chris, what you're going to do here is kind of defend fossil fuels because people have talked about their structural decline lately. Well, yes and no. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I am fairly neutral on the whole world of of fuel. I I am a supporter of what works. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Right? I'm a supporter of what works based that on... Works, yeah. I'm a supporter of what works based on its, its net cost. So fossil fuel companies and anyone who supports that particular side of the, of the argument would say that, that demand for their products are, are growing and that they're going to simply do that for decades, if not indefinitely. And I can understand how that might be true, that people will back that. Now, at some point, if the cost of any kind of, of uh, fossil fuel energy, gas, diesel, things like that, got prohibitively expensive, people would be forced to change. I get that. If you go to the other side of the equation, the renewable ener- energy crowd, um, electric transportation providers, uh, uh, battery technology firms, um, supporters of all that sort of stuff, they suggest the economics of their technologies are going to be to be more advantageous over time than people continuing to rely on, on, on the commodity-based energy world. And so the question that I do get from time to time is, okay, well, who's right? I understand the arguments on both sides, but who's right? So let's look at this in terms of an argument from the standpoint of a fossil fuel supporter, and let's just elevate the facts, evaluate the facts. rather. So you have, uh, on, on one end, a fossil fuel supporter who would say, Solar and wind just are not cost competitive. And up until not so long ago, that was a very, very true and accurate statement. But electricity is being contracted right now at just under $0.03 cents per kilowatt hour, mm-hmm. unsubsidized. And, and this is from large-scale solar power generating plants. In fact, in Dubai, 
there's just recently been some contracts put in place at 2.99 cents per kilowatt hour. So it, it's out there. And, and so when you start to look at some of these sunnier places in the world, such as Dubai, and clearly have an advantage in terms of solar energy, you say, okay, well, that's them, but it's not the U.S. Well, the U.S. isn't as far behind as, as what some people might think. And in, in fact, um, there is a contract that has recently been signed for solar power out in San Jose, California, uh, and it was a purchase agreement for 3.7 cents per kilowatt hour, hmm. which is competitive, really, with any form of, of fossil electricity, and in some cases, even cheaper. So that's the solar component of it. There are several different solar companies out there. In fact, um, one company that has, has, in the past, done a tremendous amount of work in terms of residential solar uh, transitioning is a company called Solar City. Well, guess who bought it? You guessed it, Tesla. <laughs> I was going to guess that, but I was afraid to say their name. Yeah, you know, so Elon Musk is, is running that operation, too. Um, so that's one end of the renewable spectrum. Wind, of course, is the other one. And, and although wind's costs um, are, are not declining in price quite as rapidly as solar, it, it is cheaper. Uh, in 2015, I know there was a report that came out, and I think that was the most recent one that is able to be cited. Um, it, 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 sh- it showed that a cost of wind production in Texas, it, not counting government subsidies, runs from 36 to $51 uh, per megawatt hour, while comparing that to an average national cost for coal-fired electricity ranging at that time from 65 to $150 per megawatt hour. And for gas, depending upon the type of plant you're dealing with, anywhere from 52 to 218 dollars per megawatt hour. So wow. that's a that's a big difference than what we've been accustomed to in the past. And 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 so you look at those arguments and you say, okay, clearly some things are changing. Another argument that someone in the world of fossil fuels might say is that well, solar and wind just aren't growing very fast. Well. You can't really say that anymore either. Um, We know that solar is one of the world's fastest-growing industries. Uh, They did have a record-breaking year. I think new solar capacity rose somewhere between 45 and and 50% in 2016. Yeah, and that was just last year. Um, I think the number now globally is that there's like 305 or 315 gigawatt hours of solar power capacity or gigawatts, rather. I, every time I say that, I feel like Professor Brown. I should be saying Doc gigawatt. Brown, you're talking about exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so you've got a lot of... We're on the right, run, Marty. <laughs> so you got a lot of capacity out there. And, and, and here's the difference. So we we're, this, this past year, we're at like 315 gigawatt hours. But yeah. If we rewind the clock just a little bit, I know in 2010, they had capacity of about 50 gigawatt hours. And... If you turn the clock back a little bit further to like 2000, we had basically nothing. I mean, yeah. there was there was no renewable energy in terms of solar capacity, um, in terms of reasonable cost. So, in the U.S., somebody could accurately say that solar energy is pulling the rest of the economy along with it. Uh, the industry we know uh, provides more Americans with jobs than than oil and gas extraction currently is. Um, and it's growing at about 12 times the rate of general job creation itself. So it, it's an interesting sector. Um, 
I think a lot of people who are just dyed in the wool uh, renewable hear these terms and, and hear these 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 facts and these these in, these very interesting numbers and say, why would I not invest in that sector? Um, that's a really good question. There aren't mm. that many companies that are profitable yet in that sector compared to, of course, energy companies who have been profitable for a very long time. It's just that their earnings have continued to decline. And people who are pro-renewable would say, see, it's positively impacting, and positively in their mind, it's good to get rid of the, the fossil fuel type stuff and, and move to only renewables. And, and they would suggest that the declining earnings in, the, in these oil companies are purely and solely because of, of what we've been getting out of the renewables. So what will be interesting is to see as to whether or not these, these costs per kilowatt hour and cost per megawatt hour continue to drop. If they do, it's going to get to the point where the market is going to make the decision. The market will make the choice. Currently, if you look at the price of Tesla stock, people are already betting that battery technology is going to exceed the growth rate of fossil fuel-based internal combustible engines. Hmm. In fact, hmm. there are some countries, um, I think it was Sweden, I'll have to double-check, Norway, I know for sure, uh, has um, pushed a ban through uh, on the sale of all fossil fuel-based cars over the next decade. Wow, um, really? Yep. Uh, I know the Dutch parliament has passed legislation that is essentially seeking to prohibit the sale of internal combustion engines in Holland after, I think, 2025. Um, India is another country that is working towards similar legislation that would essentially ban the sale of any gas and diesel burning cars in India after, I think, I 2020. I haven't heard of or any of this. Yeah, I mean, see, that's the stuff that's going on behind the scenes in these little sneaky legislative corners of the world, and it's not being talked about unless you're, you know, involved in the analysis of fossil fuels and renewables as it relates to being an investment. (laughs) So is America going to be behind that? You know, I can't imagine right now with at least this current administration getting behind anything that would be interventionist as it relates to banning one thing or another. Certainly not like what the Dutch Parliament's done and, and what India and, and Norway have uh, have taken on. So I don't think we can imagine that at this point. But at the same time, we know that car companies here in the United States sell their cars all over the place. I mean, certainly, I mean, if you went over to pick a country, you're not just going to see uh, you know, Kia being driven around in, in one particular location. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this thing continues to grow over time uh, and, and whether or not we actually displace the use of a lot of the fossil fuel-based type technology. And if demand continues to, to you know, ebb and flow <clears throat> to the downside, um, you know, will we just continue to see prices for that particular commodity drop? Well, like you said, whoever finds a way to harness this energy the way they want is is going to be the people ruling the world in the future. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. Um, you know, there, there, there's a guy by the name of Jeremy Grantham. Jeremy Grantham runs a um, runs a private investment 
uh, operation uh, akin to a hedge fund, but not exactly in that realm. But nonetheless, he thinks that before 2030, investment growth in fossil fuels will have stopped. Now, hmm. Mr. That's not Mr. That Grant, far away. it's not that far away. You're right. I mean, <laughs> Mr. Grantham has been in the past one of the most successful investors that we've ever seen. He's lost a lot of clients over the past 10 years because he's refused to put his clients' money at risk. And while markets were going up, people were upset and they left. And, you know, unfortunately, investors can sometimes be very impatient. Yeah. Humans have a tendency to be very right. impatient. And one of the things that we know to be true is that if you're patient, you will be handsomely rewarded over that period of time. And I would suggest that, uh, that uh, he will be successful too, but you know the the the, the amount of data and and the amount of research capacity that Mr. Grantham has at his disposal is tremendous. And for him to say that before 2030, investment growth in fossil fuels is going to stop, to me, is an eye-popping statement. <laughs> so, but he's a guy that you pay attention to when he speaks. Well, you know, I, he's he's a bright guy. He's an older gentleman. He's been in the game for a really long time, and you know, so you have a tendency to be willing to have your ears open to conversations with people like that. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything he says, and in fact, I haven't agreed with a lot of the things that he said in the past. But he's good at what he does, and so you know, we're having conversations internally about. Hmm, I wonder what kind of, of energy plays are going to open themselves up in the renewable sphere. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's a lot of risk in that sector just because not many companies exist who are making the kind of money that we would want to make to put our clients' money into them. Mm-hmm. Can that change? Yeah, that can change, and it can change fast. All right, we'll uh, continue discussion on this on the other side. Probably Chris has got a recap as to the kind of strange impact and movement we've seen relating to the Syrian attacks and everything else, just kind of recap things and uh, dive into that jobs report a little bit as well. He is Chris Klein. I am Mike Pilch. This is Buddy Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. It was a teenage wedding and the old folks wished them well. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. I am Mike Pilch along with Chris Klein. I never made mention of the fact Chuck Berry recently passed away, so I'm playing one of uh, my favorite songs of his here, C'est la vie. You never can't tell. I learned to love it from the film Pulp Fiction. And, uh, you know, hey, the guy was a legitimate legend. So He was. He was. That was a good song, too. (laughs) I thought I, uh, I thought I had to go that route today, so... No, that's awesome. Final I, I can listen to almost anything. I, I find myself driving down the road listening to classical, country, hard rock, <laughs> you name it. I don't see you going crazy over hip-hop. No, that that I'm not super excited about. I'm forced to listen to it from time to time because that's what my voice seemed to like um, more often than, than I'd like to admit. But eh, what do you do? Okay. <laughs> I call it a phase for them. They'll grow out of it. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. That is, that's the music of their generation, but we'll see how it works. All right. This is our final segment, Big Sports Saturday, on the way, on the way next. Now, similarities you're seeing with previous market environments that are making you guys a little bit nervous right now, because I know they're out there. 
They are out there. Um, so, I, and I think I posted this on my my Twitter feed, but I, I I I have a chart of the American Association of Individual Investors stock cash allocation percentage, and what it simply shows is a line that tracks the amount of stock compared to cash that individual investors are buying. So, as the line is going up from the bottom left of the chart to the upper right, suggests that investors are buying more and more and more and more stock. Right and holding less and less and less and less cash. Historically speaking, when the individual investor has ramped up their stock percentage to a, an amount greater than 55%, we've seen risks in the market really start to elevate. And and right now, we're we're breaching an area that we've seen a number of times in the past, but certainly what we saw in the late 1990s. And of course, everyone I'm sure can remember fairly easily what what that turned out to be sure so you know are, are we going to go through that same kind of environment again well it's hard to know um we did see a high degree of stock cash allocation back in times like 2004 and 2006 and again in 2013 and 14 and while we had some corrections take place during those times we, we certainly didn't have a a just complete fall off the cliff kind of environment like we did in 2000 or, or 2008, for that matter. So it, we don't necessarily put a pile of, of credence into that, but it's one more thing that we have to look at and, and ask ourselves, is this adding to a positive or a negative as it relates to the current level of the stock market? And, and we have to view it in the context of everything else we're seeing as, as a negative. Hmm. Um, we talk about our risk matrix a fair amount. Yep. And the risk matrix, again, simply is sentiment, monetary conditions, and valuations. All three are still stuck in the red. But we have had very, 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 very slight positive movements in both sentiment and monetary conditions. And I mean so slight that they haven't moved out of the red yet, but we're actually seeing a bit of improvement. Meaning I that thought, sentiment is actually coming down very, very slightly? So slightly that huh. it's almost unrecognizable. <laughs> okay. But for us, because we're so focused on this stuff like a laser, we see the slightest movements and then ask ourselves, okay, is, is something changing? I sort of thought that when the, when the Syrian uh, issue rose its ugly head and, and we decided to take out their airfields on, uh, on, on Thursday night or whenever it was, that I'd see sentiment change. I, I thought for sure that markets would not perform well and that dose of scare would cause people to come back down to earth, you know. Um, but it didn't happen. And so, therefore, our risk matrix stays stuck in the red, which is why we as a firm are not fully invested for not only our own personal money but our clients' money. We, we have to take these things seriously because they have been historically very accurate and kind of like a pilot, when you choose to ignore your instruments, you crash. So we don't want to crash. We don't want to have that happen. We're paying attention to our instruments and, and, and just being very, very uh, sensitive to the fact that we know there's risk in the market, but at the same time we also know that we're not getting an indicator that would suggest this thing is going to just roll over into a, a flaming bear market. Um, we do know that valuations continue to be way, way, way overvalued. And the problem with that, it's like a great big ship. Like, you know, you get behind the the wheel of a ocean liner 
And, you know, guess what? You turn that thing hard starboard, and it's going to take a long, long time to yep. come full circle. Yep. Valuations work the same way. It, it just takes a long time for earnings to do their thing uh, and cause valuation in terms of over- or undervaluations to shift. Now, we're not far away from earnings season, and there are more than a, a number of analysts that have uh, an expectation for decent earnings growth. If we get better than expected earnings growth, and if companies improve their outlooks, in other words, if, if CEOs get on their transcript, their uh, their uh, earnings calls, and in their transcripts say, "Hey, you know, business is really looking good. Uh, we're hiring. We're doing this, and all these elements of growth." And well, you know what? Then then that could kind of fan the flame to get prices really moving again. Um, a lot of people are stuck on viewing markets in terms of P.E. ratios. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. I mean, a P.E. ratio is a very standard way in which to um, analyze a market in terms of its value. And, and so what we're seeing right now is that we have valuations relative to the current earnings of the market similar to what we saw happen back in the late 1990s. So, you know, you take that and you say, all right, we're definitely on the high end of, uh, of, of valuations. Uh, we definitely have a Fed that is talking more hawkish. I think the most recent uh, conversation that we heard from most Fed governors is that they expect three, maybe four rate hikes mm-hmm. in, uh, in, two, in 2017. This year, right, yeah. What has me more concerned is the conversation that the Fed has thrown out there about unwinding their $4.5 trillion portfolio. I, no one knows what that's going to look like. And, and I'm not so sure the Fed even knows what it's going to look like, Mike. And, and for me, that has, that has me concerned because, you know, as I said at the very first segment, the Fed right now, if they were a bank, would not be allowed to operate because they're leveraged 77 to 1. And, I, that's just absurd, but because they're the government, they have the one commodity that none of us have enough of, time. Right. So they, right. they can dribble this stuff out into the market for years and years and years. Now, I don't know that they're going to do that. And if they did, okay, I'm not sure what that's going to look like either. All we know is that when you have uh, a, a government invent, interventionist policy like what we've experienced so much over the past 10, 15 years, you, you get dislocations. Capital movements are different than what they otherwise would be in a normal interest rate environment. So for the casual investor who's out there just saying, eh, all's well, I'm going to slug my money in the index and forget about it, I would caution you as an individual investor sure. on that laissez-faire approach. It, it may feel good because you don't have to think about it. It may cause you to uh, be and have some short-term elation because at least over the past few months markets have done okay right uh and continue to do well in the face of what otherwise would be you know daunting hurdles a, a conflict potentially starting uh saber rattling from some crazy people with nuclear arms uh a jobs report that, that wasn't as fantastic as what we would like to see i mean I, it's easy for an individual investor to just get lulled to sleep and, and that's what markets do. They'll lull you to sleep, and then they'll whack you over the head with a pipe. <laughs> so, 
So you have to be cautious of this stuff. And, and you're just seeing so many elements stacking up as it relates to the degree of risk that we just cannot, in good conscience, be fully invested with not only our individual money, but more importantly, our clients' money. And so right now we have probably anywhere between 25 to 45% of our clients' portfolios in a secure, safe environment. Um, and the difference would depend on what degree of risk someone is, is willing to take. And so as I've said before, and, and it just bears repeating, if you're unsure um, the kind of risk taker that you are or are not, right now is a really, really, really good time to figure it out. Because what you don't want to do is figure out that you're not a risk taker and be invested in a portfolio that's heavily laden with risk right. and then go through a correction. That that could lead to some catastrophic results. Yeah. Well, that just feels terrible. You know, it's a very uncomfortable position. I, you know, a simple question that I ask clients from time to time when they're still unsure about their risk and how they feel about it, even after we take them through a, a discovery process, I'll say, look, how, what makes you more upset, missing 10% on the upside or participating in 10% on the downside? And more often than not, they'll step back and go, hmm, and they'll pick one. And so for us, that helps us to kind of define that risk uh, discovery process and, and get them to where they need to be. So how figure do, out your risk structure. <laughs> how do people get in contact with you, Chris? Uh, toll free, 866-596-9886. And also check us out on our website, cat, uh, which is careformywealth.com. Check out the uh, risk tolerance button, which is right in the middle of the homepage when you get on. All right, that's at uh, that's careformywealth.com. Check them out on Twitter at careformywealth. And if you have any questions, send them an email at info at careformywealth.com. He is Chris Clyde. I am Mike Pilch. Talk to you in a week. This is Money Talks with Capstone Wealth Management. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.